Okay, this morning let's get into our, our text and our time together. We sang just a, a few moments earlier to come behold the wondrous mystery. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. There is significant amount of mystery in the gospel and what God does in salvation. And to uh, a little degree, we'll try and open that up a little bit this morning, only as much as Jesus gives us here. But, you know, often we say about the Bible and what the Bible contains in it, we talk about uh, how a scarlet thread runs through the Bible uh, from beginning to end, or, or something along the lines of, of that, or that we can find Jesus in every story or every part of the Bible, that Jesus is there somewhere, or that this scarlet thread runs through every page. And it's true. From the moment that sin entered our world, God promised a saviour, and he has been working to that end from that very moment onwards to its great completion in the end. What we're saying when we talk about a scarlet thread or about what God is doing through all this is that from beginning to end, God is about glorifying himself by rescuing his creation from sin. And that's what the Bible is about from beginning to end. The Bible tells us that God isn't just saving from sin, but in the process of what he is doing, he is completely overturning sin in his creation, making everything new. The scarlet thread, the story of redemption, that Jesus is the saviour of men from sin, is perhaps the most glorious way that God is doing that, saving people from sin. But that's one part in his great program of redemption where he intends to completely overthrow sin altogether. The wonder of this great redemption fills eternity. The fact that God saves people and that God saves everything and rescues and redeems everything from sin is going to fill the halls of heaven. In Revelation chapter 5, we're given just a small glimpse And we're told that the angels gather and the the leaders of the angels and and all the peoples that are in heaven at the time gather around saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. That is what gives God most glory. So much, however, of God's plan of redemption remains a mystery. And I think many of you will understand how, how I reflect here saying that sharing the gospel can very often be frustrating in ministering and giving the gospel to people, we think, why, why don't they see? We, we've told them the good news. They've seen it. They've heard it. Why don't they see? Why are some people so hard-hearted? See, why, do, why do some people believe the gospel so quickly? And for others, it can take a lifetime for them to come to see the beauty of the gospel and truly believe. How often... Do we wonder, 
Why do some get saved and others don't? These questions that arise in our mind, it shows us clearly with these questions that so much of God's work remains a mystery to us. There's so much we don't understand. The answer to these questions is, is complicated. But here, in the text we're going to read in just one moment, Jesus gives us some insight into these questions, some insight into understanding unbelief. So let's read Jesus' words. This is continuing his discourse on him being the bread of life. We're going to begin in verse 41 this morning, John chapter 6 and verse 41. We'll read through verse 59. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue, as he taught in Capernaum. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, indeed teach us. Help us understand your truth, even the deep things of God. This morning, where there is need, open the eyes to see the truth of who you are and of the gospel, that they may believe. In Jesus' name, amen. So here Jesus sheds just a little bit of light on unbelief and what that means and the result of that. He follows a little bit more in the, the verses to follow, which we'll look at again next week. But here we get at least the initial part of that on how some people come to salvation and what is the result of that. 
As we begin looking at what Jesus says here about him being the bread of life and what that means to, to the world and, and of him, it begins uh, here in verse 41. They're murmuring, saying, because he said he is the bread, he is the bread from heaven. And they think, well, he's, he's, he's Jesus. He's, we know his mother and father. How can this be? So Jesus clarifies to some degree in verse 44 and says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. One of the first things that we come to understand about how salvation works and what God does in the life of people to give them life is that we are given to Christ. We are given to Christ. These first four verses or first few verses tell us that in as much as verse 44 says it. And the reason that we need to be given to Christ is Jesus makes it very clear that we need to be drawn by God. Why do we need to be drawn by God? We need to be drawn by God because we do not come to God. We do not come to him. All of us. Every single person created, every single person born in this world bears the image of God. And in that image, we carry an innate, a natural understanding that God exists. That is true of every person that has ever lived and ever will live. But sadly, as a result of sin, that knowledge of God, that image of God that we bear is marred. It has been corrupted by sin, and our knowledge of God, the Bible says, is darkened. As we become blind to who he is, we do not see him clearly, we do not understand him clearly, which means also that we do not instinctively go to God. We were created with the intent and with the desire within us in the beginning that our first instinct was to go to God. But that is no longer the case. We no longer instinctively go to God. The Bible describes this throughout the New Testament, especially as being spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 and uh, verse 1, Paul writes, And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's how it describes our spiritual state, by being dead in trespasses and sins. Jesus describes it here in verse 44 as complete inability. We cannot go to the Father except we be drawn. That is, we're not going. We have an inability to come to him, to know him, to please him. Quoting Psalm 53, Paul says, There is none who seek God. We do not seek him. We do not come to him naturally. So if we're not naturally coming to God, God must take the initiative. And God does take the initiative. Jesus says there in verse 44, except the Father draw. God takes the initiative. We do not come to God on our own works or on our own will. We've seen even in John chapter 1, John chapter 1 and verse 13, it was said before, who, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. A dead spirit must be acted upon by a life-giving God. This is seen in the concept 
of drawing. So because we do not come to God, the Father sent the Son. Because we are not naturally, instinctively going to seek him out, he came to us. The Father sent the Son. That is how he initiates it. That's how he comes to us. 1 John chapter 4 says, In this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world. Or perhaps more simply, further down in 1 John 4, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. What does Jesus say is his purpose? Jesus says his purpose is in Luke 19 verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We are not coming to God, so God comes to us, seeking us. Because of sin, we're never going to come to God. So in love, he seeks us. And so the Father sent the Son so that the Father draws us to the Son, so that we will see who he is, so that our blind eyes will be open. You see, just, just showing up doesn't change the heart. The very fact that Jesus came, that God came into the earth, isn't going to change hearts. It's said of the Jews, Jesus says uh, of the Jews, he came to his own and his own received him not. So just turning up isn't going to change the heart of who we are. Something has to happen beyond God just showing up in our lives or showing up in our world. Something needs to change within us for God's work to become complete. So God doesn't just initiate contact, but he intervenes so that we can see the love of God in Christ. God acts to draw people to himself. Without intervention, and without this intervention, we cannot know God. Later, and we'll look at this more particularly next week, but verse 63 says, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus talks about this more particularly, even in, in John chapter 16, when he speaks about the work of the spirit. That the work of the Holy Spirit is to awaken us spiritually. He stirs people to respond to, to the call of God through Jesus Christ. So what we see as we go through is because we don't come to God, the Father sent the Son so that the Father could draw us to the Son and the Son will keep us. We are kept by the Son. Verse 37 uh, which was what we looked at last week, says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Now there's something very wonderful beyond just the fact that he says he won't cast us out about what Jesus says in that verse. Something deeply wonderful, something beautiful, something miraculously personal in that verse, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me. Believer, you are a gift of love from the Father to the Son. That is why you are kept. 
Because the Father has lovingly gifted you to his Son as a gift of love and glory. That same sentiment that he is going to keep us repeats over and over and over through the words of Jesus. Verse 37, which we just read. Verse 39, he says the same thing. Verse 40, verse 47, verse 54. I will raise him up at the last day. Every gift the Father gives to the Son, the Son will keep. And he will keep to the very end. We're told here that we are drawn by God, but beyond that he tells us that we are taught by God. Every man, therefore, that hath, or, or verse 45, I should say, it is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. We are taught by God, oh, taught by God through the scriptures. The primary way that God draws us to himself is through the scriptures. Hebrews 11 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God. And what we find in other places, like Romans chapter 10, is that because in Hebrews 11 it says we must please him because we must know that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that seek him. And how does that happen? How do we know who he is and how we can seek him? Romans 10 tells us that this faith to seek him comes by hearing the word of God. By hearing what God has told us. We must listen to God. We must hear his word. So the spirit takes the word and makes it alive. Makes it living. We are taught by God through the scriptures for one grand and glorious purpose, and that is to turn to Christ. So that we will turn to Jesus Christ. Where does the spirit and the word direct us? They direct us to Jesus. Because as it says in his priest in Acts chapter 4, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby... We must be saved. In the scriptures, I learn who God is. No man, except Jesus, he says, has seen the Father, or has seen God. But Jesus has seen God because he is God. And the Father decreed that through Jesus, we could have life and security. We are drawn by God. We are given to Christ. And so, we must believe in Christ. Verse 47. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Our call, then, is to believe Christ. To believe Christ. Verse 48. I am the bread of life. Jesus is, he tells us, the bread of life. What is expected of man in salvation? To believe. To believe Jesus. From our perspective, from the human perspective, as we look at salvation, our perspective shows that we come to Christ. From the perspective of God, from God's perspective, we are given to Christ. But we must believe him. 
What do we need to believe about Jesus? That he is the bread of life. That is, that he is the spiritual nourishment. That is, that he is the life that we need. Jesus tells us that he came from heaven. This, of course, causes them a great deal of, of confusion and trouble there when he says that he came from heaven. And he uses that phrase again, I am, a phrase that we will see expanded and become more apparent and more personal as we continue through the Gospel of John, as we see the next six I am statements through the Gospel. The statement of I am, that simple phrase, I am, the bread of life, is a statement that he is God, that Jesus is God. Why did John write his gospel? These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is what we need to see about who God is, that he came from heaven, Jesus came from heaven. Now when Jesus said that statement, it seems a little obscure to us, because that's not our, our background, but when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, it's clear from the passage, the Jews knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They had no doubt that when he said, I am the bread of life, he was claiming to come from and be God. Now we have looked at scripture and we have seen scripture in, in many ways where Jesus has made claims that he is God. The Jews understood the claim Jesus was making. The question today for us is, do you understand the claim Jesus is making? Jesus is claiming to be God. There is no question here. He's not asking you if, he thinks, if you think he is God. He's saying whether you think I'm God or not, I am God. I am the one you need to save you. Jesus is not just a good man. He is not just an amazing man. He is very God of very God. And because he is God, because he is the bread of life who came from heaven, Jesus gives eternal life. Believing Jesus gives eternal life. He is the source of life. So we believe Christ. We believe that he is the, the living bread, the bread from heaven. But what does that mean? What, what do we have to do with this? We believe Christ's sacrifice. And this is where he takes us with this analogy. He says in verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of of the world. We need to believe Christ's sacrifice. He's saying here in describing himself as the bread and we need to take of that bread, we need to believe his sacrifice because he gave his life. He gave his life. That is what he came for. This, that he is giving his life like this, is a statement that he is going to sacrifice himself, that he would pay the price for our sin. Mark chapter 10, Jesus tells us, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He gave his life, but more particularly, he gave his life 
for you. Jesus did this. Jesus came and sacrificed himself and gave himself on the cross through the, the torture and the misery of the cross and then the glory of the resurrection. He did all this so that people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue could be saved from their sin. That's the glory of the verses we read at the beginning from Revelation 5. What Jesus says he came to do in the end is going to happen. A people, a thousand, ten thousands upon ten thousands upon ten thousands of people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue throughout every age will stand before the great God and sing praises to the lamb that was slain. He gave his life for you. His sacrifice is enough for you, and it doesn't matter what you have done or where you come from or what your life is like, his sacrifice is enough for you. But it must be believed. It's no good to look at Jesus and say, yes, he sacrificed himself and he did it for me. That's wonderful. That's great news. But it means nothing unless you believe that he did it for you and you accept it as being for you can only be effective in your life if you believe. And when you believe, he gives eternal life. But you must come. You must repent and believe. And so being given to Christ and believing in Christ, we live with Christ. Verse 52 in our text continues. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, if you're new to Christianity, or new into church, that probably sounds a little weird. Certainly the Jews were confused a little bit at first. What does he mean? How are we supposed to eat him? That's ridiculous. Of course, what Jesus was doing is he was using analogy here. He's not saying that we have to eat his flesh literally, but it's an analogy. If he is the bread of life, then as we eat bread, so we need to partake of Christ. He is going to give his life so that we can find life in him. So just like we receive food and drink to give us physical life, so we must receive Jesus for spiritual life. We must take him in. We must receive him as we do food for life. So we must receive Christ. We must receive Christ because Jesus is your only hope. He is the only way to find life. He is your only hope, but he is also all you need. Jesus isn't like the last hope. He isn't our safeguard just in case. So it's not, look, I'll believe Jesus just in case everything else doesn't work out. Or look, if I believe Jesus and it's right, then I'm a winner. If I believe Jesus and something else is right, well, I haven't really lost anything, have I? That's not Jesus. Jesus is everything you need. He is all you need. 
He is what gives spiritual life completely. He is all you need for salvation. He is the only one you need for salvation. He offers complete salvation from beginning to end. Notice how he says, if you eat of me, if you believe me, if you come to me, and then he skips all the way to the end, I will raise you up at the last day. Believe me, life everlasting. Complete, eternal salvation. In the first part of, of the verses here, when he speaks about eating and drinking of himself, it's in a, in a, a, a singular tense in that it means it's a one-time event. If you eat of his flesh and drink of him, that is, if you take him in, if you believe him, if you come to him, in that one moment, in that moment that you believe him and you take him in, you, you find eternal life. It is something that you believe, you are raised. You believe, you are raised. It's a one-time thing. It's not a continuous event. That is, if you take what Jesus has to offer you, you will never need anything else. He completely satisfies you spiritually. However, when we get to verse 54, the tense changes. In verse 54, he says, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood. It changes from a singular tense of here is a one moment. So if you eat of me, if you believe me, if you come to me, you have life to a tense which is continuous and progressive. Whoever feeds on me might be a, a more contemporary way of saying it. Whoever feeds on me, that is, we eat eagerly, we take it with, with pleasure, and we continue to take in to receive Christ. It's an expression showing that once you have Christ, once you have believed him, once you have come to him, you cannot get enough of him. Have you ever been at, at one of those moments, maybe, and somebody's offering you uh, a dessert or something that you like, say, well, I don't know, I don't really want it. So, all right, just one bite. And you take one bite. I think that's the most delicious thing I've ever had. And so you just keep eating. Jesus. One bite. Save you for eternity. But in your soul, you can't get enough of him. You want more and more of him. You want to know him more fully, more completely, more wonderfully, more personally. You want to continue to feed on what he has to offer. This is the mark of a genuine believer. One who has truly come to Christ and tasted of the bread of life does not want to let it go continues to pursue Christ. Genuine believer, a genuine disciple, feeds on Christ. So, in receiving Christ, we enjoy him. We enjoy Christ, and we passionately pursue him. The reason we passionately pursue him is because pure satisfaction is found in him. He satisfies, and he is satisfying, both singular and plural. He is the true satisfaction in every sense. Jesus tells us in the Beatitudes, 
Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, satisfied. The psalmist says in Psalm 107, for he satisfies the longing soul and he fills the hungry soul with goodness. We passionately pursue him when we come to know him because he's the pure satisfaction we need and the perfect companionship is known through him. There is another wonderful statement Jesus makes here in these verses. He says, that dwelleth in me and I in him. He dwelleth in me and I in him. By coming to Christ, he unites me with my creator. That very part of me that was marred, that was ruined, that was marked and corrupted by sin, he changes. And no longer am I running from him, no longer am I separated from him, no longer am I distanced from him because of my sin, no longer am I the one who is not seeking him. But now he is all I want to seek. He is my everything. He has created me and united me with my creator. The image of God within me that was marred by sin is being restored day by day. My innate longing for worship, that, that longing that we all have, which is so often directed at so many other things in so many other places and primarily at ourselves, finds the goal it was created for, God. And in there we find our great satisfaction. Communication and relationship between God and me is restored. Paul says it like this in Colossians chapter 1. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is... Christ in you, the hope of glory. One thing, there are a lot of things I do not know about God. There are a lot of things I do not know about salvation. But one thing I know for certain today, believer or unbeliever here today, God is drawing you to Christ. I know that without doubt. There are a lot of things I don't know. But that I know with certainty. God is drawing you to Christ. Perhaps as a believer, he is drawing you this morning nearer to the heart of God. To be more like Christ. To find the satisfaction he gives in our lives daily. Perhaps today you are being drawn to Christ as Savior. The Spirit is at work today in hearts through Scripture. He uses the Word of God. He wants you to understand that Jesus died for your sins. That He sacrificed Himself for you. He wants you to know that Jesus died so that you could live. Will you believe? Will you come to Him today? Believe that he is what you need, what you have been longing for.
if that is you, if you are being drawn to Christ today as Saviour and your eyes have been opened to see him as the true and living God who you need salvation, then cry out to him and call him and ask forgiveness of your sins. Say, God, I come to you as a desperate sinner in need of forgiveness. And he will hear the cry of your heart. If you are uncertain or not sure what you need to do or, or what this means or have questions, then please come and speak with me. I'm not going to chase you away. And I guarantee you that if we have to delay a meeting for, for however long, the members of this church are not going to be angry because someone wanted to know more about Jesus. If you need to know Jesus, let's find him today. If he is drawing you to himself. Believer, rejoice in the gift of God who has opened your eyes to see Jesus as Savior and has given you the faith to believe him as Savior. Rejoice, for Jesus has satisfied your eternal need. Now, pursue him with all you are. Find him to be the great satisfaction you need every single day. There is no word of lie in that statement that today and tomorrow and the day after, Jesus is what you need. And he will satisfy your soul in every single situation. Also, never, never give up hope on those around you. The work of God in salvation is a mystery. There's so much we do know about it, but so much we don't. Those you've been witnessing to, those you've been longing to see saved, those you've wondered, why don't they see? Why won't they understand? Don't give up. Pray and share the gospel and let God do his work. As the old song says, I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word you show us who you are. And that through your word your spirit takes the truth and makes it come alive within our hearts. For those of us, the many of us here this morning who have had the, the great glory and blessing of having our eyes open to see the truth of the gospel, we are grateful and thankful and our heart's desire is to pursue you each and every day to feast upon all that you give us. Help us, dear Lord, as we do that, to grow into the image of the Son. For those here this morning who may not know you as Savior. Dear God, those who know they don't know you, those who may even have thought they have known you but aren't sure, please, dear God, may the Spirit work within and draw to see the beauty and glory of Savior and their need of forgiveness of sin. 
pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.